Appreciate you. Another new one. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. I saw the ladies, they started to smile a little bit. The verse says, husbands, love your wives. And let's talk about that for a little bit. Amen. Ladies said, yeah, come on. You can shake a hanky or something, ladies. It's all right. Well, we're supposed to be silent in church. Yeah, well, hanky, you know, silent, amen. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> what do you think, brother? What kid will? Brother Kid will over there. You, you think we need to preach on husbands for a little while today? Preach, amen. I'm not preaching about husbands. Probably ought to, but uh, amen. We ought to love our wives. You know, what that, you know what that's saying in there? Really, where we're going is Christ loved the church. And God uses here the husband and wife relationship as a picture of Christ in the church. And Christ in the church is a picture of the husband and wife. It's a wonderful thing. We see it here in Ephesians. And we see it big time in the Song of Solomon. And we can see both things there. And that, that uh, picture of both. And husbands ought to love their wives. You know what that, that word love there... It's love, and then it says loved, as in Christ loved the church. And uh, both those words, they, they're the same thing. They're the, that's like agape love. You know what agape love is? See, there's, there's different words in the Greek that all get translated into one word, English word love. And one of those is agape, and it means sacrificial love. Sacrificial. That means I'm supposed to sacrifice for my wife. You know what's hard is when it comes to money? Sacrificing for my wife. Got to get a witness? No, okay, all right. But that means time too. Yeah. It means my life too. Right? Protection. Amen? But I want to focus tonight on how Christ did that for the church. Look what the Bible says again. Look at it. It clearly says it. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That agape love, that sacrificial love. It wasn't just a state of mind, it was he put it into practice and he sacrificed himself. That word, that word gave there means to surrender or to deliver up. You know what that Bible, my Bible is saying right there in verse 25? It's saying Jesus Christ died for the church. That's what it's saying right there. That he loved the church, he sacrificed himself for the church, and he died for the church. Wait a minute, didn't he die for the whole world? Yeah, but right here it says he died for the church. Specifically, that's what it says. Tonight... It seems as if the church is pretty important to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? But pastor, we don't see it at all in the Old Testament. We see it a bunch in the New Testament. And, and, and this doesn't, how, well, how does this all make sense? It's important to Jesus. And it ought to be important to us. It's important to Christ. And it ought to be important to me. To me. Tonight... What the Bible has to say about the church. Not about what kind of church. 
Not talking about being a Baptist tonight, though I believe I can defend that from Scripture, and I did here uh, shortly a little bit of a while ago on a Sunday morning. We went through that and that acronym of what Baptist is and what it stands for and what it means. But I'm talking about the church in general here, that Jesus Christ started the church for a purpose, for a reason, and we have it and we ought not to bail on it. But we live in a day that people are bailing on it, don't we? They're taking it off the sign. Man, that's so, that's so old, uh, so, so uh, yesterday and all this stuff. Well, we got to call it something different. Fellowship. Jesus didn't die for the fellowship. The Bible says he died for the church. He didn't die for a social club. He didn't die for your bingo group. Come on now. Yeah, he didn't die for some parachurch organization. I think it's great to, to get food to hungry people, but he didn't die for some organization that's feeding people. He died for the church. Maybe we ought to pay attention to that too, shouldn't we? Hmm. That's something there to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus Christ put the emphasis on the church, and we sometimes forget that. We overlook that. Where are you going with this, Pastor? What's the origin? Where, where, where did Christ really, where did it begin? And if, if, it, if it began, is it really just an idea? Or is it tangible and physical? Is it right here? A lot of times people and we can get confused and we can hear things from internet, YouTube, podcast, other preachers. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Amen? Hey, can, let me help you, church, for a moment. Don't let some guy that doesn't know you that's 3,000 miles away pastor you on the internet. Amen? Amen? There's a lot of folks that get on the internet and they listen to this. Well, he's a great preacher. Amen, bless God. He probably is. Stomps and snorts and kicks and all this stuff. Whatever he does, his thing, right? But he's not going to be there when your loved one dies. He's not going to be there when this thing's going on or that heartache or a phone call away. I want to be that for you. Allow me to be that for you. Amen? I know I can't be there every time, every place. But that's why we've got some great assistant pastors. Like Brother Martini has sent him around visiting a lot of people. Why? Because it's necessary. It's called pastor. And that's, I was on a rabbit trail there. But hey, praise God. Amen. Let's get back to the church. Amen. What qualifications are there to be a part of the church? They have a lot of questions. Getting questions like, why do we meet on Sundays versus the Sabbath day of Saturday? Why, why, do we, why do we meet so often and why do we have to come this time and that time? And Why can you change the midweek service but you don't change the Sunday service? All these questions about the church, you know we have those answers in the Word of God? We do. And we're not going to get to all those tonight. But I do want to just start with this idea of what the Bible has to say about the church. Now, I, I say this often, but let me give you the full detail. The, the church, the word church in the Bible is a Greek word by the name of ekklesia. It's ekklesia. Let me spell it out. It's E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. Ekklesia. Okay? And I believe the Schofield writes it down as E-C-C, but it's still the same word. Ekklesia. 
And what that means is you take the first two letters, E-K, and it means out or called out. And then klesia means an assembly. So I, again, I've said that to you oftentimes, a called out assembly. You know why we're a church? Because we're saved and called out of the world. There's one time, there's one time in the, in the book of Acts in, the, in chapter 7 that God calls Israel in the Old Testament a church. He says they were a church in the wilderness. And the, it was a picture that God painted through that when they got saved. By, remember the blood of the lamb on the doorposts? Remember that in Egypt? Now they got saved by the blood of the lamb. And then they got called out of the world, out of Egypt. And then we passed through the Red Sea and the baptism. And then they began to grow in that spiritual walk in the wilderness as they received the law on Mount Sinai, the Word of God. And they were asked to be obedient to the Lord. And they struggled with that for a while. And then finally, the victory of, uh, of, of the true surrender of life crossing the Jordan River. That's not a picture of heaven. We sing about that, but it's not true. Because when they crossed the Jordan, they had a lot more battles to fight, didn't they? they? When they crossed the Jordan, they had other victories they needed to do. They had Jericho waiting for them. They had Ai. They had these other places that were waiting. It's a picture of the Spirit-filled life being obedient to Christ right here on earth. Amen? And so uh, God calls them in the Old he, he calls the book of Acts, I believe chapter 7, He calls Israel uh, the church in the wilderness. And it was a type, it was a picture but other than that, even in the Old Testament itself, we don't see the word church used. It is completely used in the New Testament. It was a mystery to them in the Old Testament. Have you, have you read that lately in your Bible, in your New Testament, when you're going through the epistles? God calls it a mystery. Would you flip with me here? We're in Ephesians. Let's go, please, to chapter 1. Let's go to chapter 1. The church. I know I'm doing a lot of teaching tonight. But I pray that it will help you and help all of us together as we grow a little bit in the Word. Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, it was a mystery. So say, what, what do you mean it was a mystery? In the Old Testament, if you read the prophets and you read uh, uh, all, the, all the Old Testament, they, didn't, they could not see in the Old Testament the time between the ascension of Christ, when, when he, when he, after he had risen from the dead and he raised to heaven, they couldn't see that point to the second coming of Christ. It was dark for them. It was hidden from them. You remember when the apostles said, Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom now? Remember they were following him and said, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Remember, James and John were having a little trouble and they said, hey, can we be first place and second place in your kingdom? Can we sit right next to you on your right-hand side? They thought that Jesus, when he was on earth the first time, was going to set up his kingdom, the millennial kingdom to come. They couldn't see after the cross to the second coming. They couldn't see that ascension into heaven to the second coming. It was a mystery. It was hidden. Look what the Bible says here tonight. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 9. Verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will... According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth 
even in Him. Let's, let's go to, from there to uh, verse 20, please. Verse 20, same chapter. Chapter 1, verse 20. Which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. See that? Christ ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father to become the head of the church. And the Old Testament, they couldn't see that. It was hidden from them. It was a mystery to the the prophets of old. Why did God make that a mystery? I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you that Paul is teaching us that the Old Testament prophets couldn't understand the church age. They didn't see it. God didn't reveal it to them. Just like you and I, we have pictures of what is to come. Small pictures. I was just talking to somebody this week about Revelation a little bit and about what is to come. I get excited about talking about Revelation, about the end times and what's in the millennial kingdom. And then, of course, after that, the the judgments. And then, of course, the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven upon the new earth. Praise the Lord. Amen. I get excited talking about that. But we still only have small pictures. What's say? I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the mind of man all that God has prepared for them. Yeah, that's us. We can't even comprehend all that. So they didn't have the full picture. Let's continue in chapter 3, please. Chapter 3 of Ephesians. Verse number 1. Verse number 1, Ephesians 3, 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. Dispensation. Man, that's a big word. What does that mean? It means a certain order, system, or arrangement, or a divinely appointed order or age. So the church age is different than Old Testament. Everybody with me now? Jesus died on the cross and changed some things. We're under a New Testament. Praise God we're not on the Old Testament. Praise God that we don't have to go out here and get a, get a lamb out of the fold. We've already got our lamb. He's already been sacrificed once and for all. It's a new, it's a new age. It's a new, it's a new testament. It's a new dispensation of time. And that's what he's talking about here. Let's go back to it here. Verse 2, if ye have heard, if ye heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. See that? What Paul's saying here is God gave me some things to teach you about the church, and I'm about to do that. That's what he's saying here. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his gospel in Christ by the gospel. Partakers of his promise in the Christ by the gospel. Brother Gwen, Old Testament Israel, it was, it was all about God and all about them. And they had a hard time sharing that, didn't they? That mentality of other people receiving really uh, the, the, um, really the gospel, the works of God. Wasn't there a big, there was a big conference in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. Remember that? When Peter met with them and he said, hey, guess what? I just met with a Gentile. And God's going to work through them. And then he put this sheet down. He had all these pigs in there. And he started licking his lips. He says, "Woo! give me some baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. You with me? And Peter's like, man, let's go. Come on, let's get some pork. Amen. And he says, God's teaching me through that, that he now wants this to go out to everybody else. Amen. Let's continue. Where were we? Verse six, verse seven. Now, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power unto me who am less than the least of all saints in this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Okay? The, the Jews were also looking for the Messiah to come. But they denied Christ, Jesus Christ, as being that Messiah. He came unto his own and his own received him not. They're still looking for the Messiah. All right? Verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Let's, let's flip to chapter 5. One verse here and, and we'll move past this thought of mystery. Look at verse 32 here of chapter 5. Ephesians 5.32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and what? The church. The church. And what God was going to do through the church was a mystery. It was hid from the Old Testament. They, maybe they couldn't comprehend how God was going to move past Israel and spread it all His grace to all the Gentile worlds. Maybe they couldn't see that for whatever reason that was God's plan from the beginning, but He hid it for a time and then revealed it through Paul and then eventually through Peter and John and the rest of them, right? Um, that, that He would have the church age. Now, we could, we could keep going on that thought of mystery, and you can find it several times in Colossians being taught there as well. But I ask you, where is the first time that we see the word church used that many people would say, well, this was the origin of the church? Somebody help me. Where's the first time we see it? Matthew, that's right. Matthew 16. Remember that verse? Thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You with me now? Let's go to that verse. Let's go to chapter 16 of Matthew. Let's go there, please. Now, I've heard that verse so many times. I've read it so many times. I've quoted it so many times. But let's see the context of what he's saying here. Who he's talking to, even where he is. And it might help us tonight. 
Verse, this is Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I could, we can preach that verse. That verse, will, that, that, verse, <laughs> that verse will preach. Not that purse. That verse will preach, okay? Uh, we, we could talk about that for a long time. We got some soul winners in here. Man, and they're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. But we got a lot, we got a lot better thing than squirt gun. We got the word of God. Amen? We got that super soaker, that fire hose, that two and a half inch fire hose. Where's my fireman in here? Somewhere. Hey, brother. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen? Ready to go. Charge hell. Come on. Because it's the gates of hell are not going to prevail. Doesn't it say that? We forget that truth. But somebody help me. Who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples who are Jews who don't fully understand really what that is. And this is the first time it's mentioned in the New Testament. This word church. Now, if you look back in verse 13, and this will help us just a little bit. When Jesus came into the coast of where? Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I the son of man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the apostles or prophets. That, that's Greek names there for Old Testament people that you know, right? Elijah and Jeremiah and the prophets. He saith, he saith unto them, verse 15, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And then we get to verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, let's, let's get some basic teaching down here real quick. Many of us know this, but some of us may not. There's a lot of people in this world that think the church is built upon Peter. And you can understand simply by reading that, that they might misunderstand that. But that is not the case. When you look up the words in the Greek here, you'll find out that Peter, the word is, let me get, make sure I get it right, it's Petros, Petros, which means a little rock or a piece of rock. As if a piece of rock broke off a bigger rock. It's a little, it's a little thing. And then when he says this rock is a different word, it's Petra. Does anybody know the place called Petra? Does anybody know that? It's over in the, it's over in the place of Jordan. Yeah. Maybe you, you might remember Indiana Jones went there, right? And all that stuff. I know, I know that's a movie and all that, but just get it in your mind there maybe. Uh, Petra is a big rock mountain that they carved rooms out of and houses out of. And people live there. Rock dwellers live there. Petra means big rock, means rock mountain, means a boulder, means something bigger than a boulder. So he's saying to Peter, thou art Peter, little pebble. But upon this rock, 
This mountain of a rock, I will build my church. He's not talking to Peter as in building the church upon Peter. He's talking about himself. Christ, the chief cornerstone, that rock. Amen? That rock that, that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. Amen? We know our Bibles tonight, that rock that he talked about often in the book of Deuteronomy. Hey guys, I'm going to go to the screen at this time. And uh, I want to hit a button to make sure it comes on. See, oh, there it is. Okay. Now, what you're looking at here is a rock mountain. That's Caesarea Philippi. Remember back at, what is it, verse 13 here? It says, and when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he started saying, hey guys, who am I? Who is everybody saying I am? Who do you say I am? He was at Caesarea Philippi. See this big rock mountain? When he looked at Peter and he said, Thou art Petros. And upon this rock, you can see him standing up against this. This rock, Petra, I will build my church. In other words, I'm I'm not building my church on a man. I'm building my church on something far greater, and that's the Son of God. Amen? That's... Caesarea Philippi. Why is it called Caesarea Philippi? Caesarea, idea of Caesar. There was a Caesarea along the Mediterranean coast. And that was kind of the central hub for all the Romans of that day. That's where uh, Pilate would have been uh, before he came down to Jerusalem for that time of Christ's trial and all that. And, uh, And Caesarea was along the coast. This is Caesarea Philippi, a different place. And Philippi is after Philip. I believe that's Herod the Great's son who had a, um, a region up north. And, uh, and this is where that's at. Let me show you here. I know this map is small, but you can see the idea of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. The Jordan River actually goes up north of the Sea of Galilee where it, act, where it begins. That, this map here doesn't show all of that. But you can see Caesarea Philippi way up there to the north. And I have a different map here. And you'll see the Sea of Galilee down below. See the Jordan River goes up there. And it starts going off in these different tributaries there of where it's beginning. See Mount Hermon? See that on the top right there, Mount Hermon? Mount Mount Hermon's pretty important. Because if you see chapter 17, that's the Mount of Transfiguration. And I, ta- I taught you about that uh, here a couple months ago. And I believe Mount Hermon's where he was in chapter 17 uh, on the Mount Transfiguration. But Caesarea Philippi is where he's at now. This place is a very unique place. It was a place of great spiritual wickedness for many, many ages. It was a place that was centered around false gods and the worship of such false gods. Far beyond what you and I can comprehend. Okay? Let me see what other pictures I got here. All right. So this is a little bit of a close-up of the mountain. You have here a big cave on your left. All right? And then you have over here to the right, you've got some ruins of old-timey, Uh, temples and buildings that were built for the worship of false gods. Okay? One of those those temples that was built was actually a temple to Augustus Caesar. 
Then another one was built to Zeus. Remember, the Greeks were in charge before the Romans. And the Greeks, they worshipped Zeus. And there was a temple to Zeus there. There was also a temple during the Roman days of a guy named Pan. P-A-N. And Pan was some awful thing. He was half goat, half man. What? What is that? I have no idea. Mankind thinks up the dumbest things to worship. Literally, half man, half goat. Now, I tell you what, they, this, this hub also I didn't mention. Brother Gwen, you might understand this. Just down the road from this was that place of Dan where Jeroboam set up a golden calf. Not far from this. Just down the road. So this whole area from way back when the kingdom, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split, they started after this thing of idol worship and false god worship. It was spiritual wickedness going on in this place. You say, well, Jesus took them up there. Yeah, it actually was forbidden for the Jews to go up there. From some of the the elders and such, the teachers of of the Jewish uh, uh, religion at that time, that they said this was a place that was forbidden, and Jesus took his disciples there. That means when they got there, they were very uncomfortable. They said, what are we doing? Can you imagine if I was to take my uh, assistant pastors this week down to a local bar? They probably, brother Kidwell back here, he's like, Pastor, you are nuts. What are you doing? And then I start, I get up on the bar and say, Woo! Start preaching the gospel. And he's like, Yeah, now I like it. Amen? These guys, they would have been uncomfortable here because it was a center of false worship. All right, let me show you some other pictures. All right, so this is somebody else's screen. I just grabbed it off the internet. Caesarea Philippi, the gates of hell in Christ's church. Okay, again, you can see the cave a little better there. The cave is literally the gate of hell. Okay? There, there used to be, let me go backwards here. Okay, see the water down below? All that water comes from a spring where water comes out of the ground. And at one time, the spring came out of that cave, and it literally poured right out of that cave and came down, but great earthquakes changed the, 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 the land and all that, and now the water comes out of the springs un- lower than that un- underneath some of these trees. And at one time, back in Jesus' day, it was coming out of the cave, and this false god worship center, they would literally take their babies and throw it into this cave and drown in the water, sacrificing their children in the name of Pan. That hopefully they would have a a better year that year by sacrificing their children. You see how awful it is when we get away from the Word of God? How mankind and what we can chase after and all this ludicrous? Actually, Pan... Let me keep going here. Here's some pictures of the old-timey temples that was drawn. Okay, The one on the left is, the, is that of Augustus. The, the, the temple to the right of that, the taller one, would be uh, the one of Zeus, I believe. And in between there is like a little dancing floor, it looks like. Whatever, a little platform thing. And that was to Pan. And then over here on the right, you have an upper and a lower and I don't know if you can see it there, but there's little characters that looks like they're on a, a platform there, and they're kind of they look kind of funny. And I, well, let's be careful here tonight. But there was great wickedness that was going on there. If you think about a god that's half goat and half man, 
there was public, he was the God of fertility. And there was public wickedness going on. Again, I said half man, half goat. Wickedness. You with me now? That's what was going on here. And Jesus took his disciples here and he's, and he's talking to them and he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Check the context here. He says, he's walking along this right here. It wasn't ruins in his day, it was up. It was the Roman day, it was up there. Augustus, would, his temple would have still been there. Uh, 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 Zeus's would have still been there. All of that pan would have still been there. All that wickedness would have still been there. And Jesus is saying to him, who do you say that I am? Because I'm not one of these guys. I'm not this false, this fake stuff. And he's looking at that big cave and that rock mountain. And he's saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I will build upon myself. And he's calling out these false gods. And he's saying all that's going to come to nothing. The devil's got nothing on the church. That's what he's saying there. All right. I, I put that up there. Uh, the cave entrance. So, so you can see a little bit what's going on there that I already labeled to you. All right. Now. Okay, another picture again. Okay, so with all that being said, this is, the, this is the verse that many people use as the origin of the church. I've even said it myself that Jesus Christ started his church right here. But notice what the text says in verse 18 again. He said, and it says, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I have built. Is that what it says? Does it say, I am building? No, it says, I will build. Doesn't it say that? It says, I will build my church. Meaning, in the future, to come. And I used to preach that Jesus Christ started His church right here. And this is where it started. And bless God, Matthew 16, 18. The, the, the origin of the church and all that. And God was teaching me something a little different this week. He said, I will build my church. Means it's coming. It's coming. But Jesus only uses the word church twice in the Gospels. Only twice. Instead, he was teaching his disciples about salvation, about reaching the lost, about what baptism was and what that meant, about, about uh, uh, sanctification and all those things. And he's teaching them things, principles about what the church would be a part of. But what had to happen before the church began? Before I get to that, let me just show you one more picture. Uh, you can't really see it on these screens. Those are those trees lower than, lower than that cave. And you, you can't really see, but the water is literally coming out of the rock right under the tree. I got the opportunity to take some of these pictures. The first one I showed you and this one, I took it. I was there back in 2011. And uh, I was just so, so fascinated when I was there seeing the Word of God come to life. Come to life. So, I, man, I want to get off of that right now. Okay. What has to happen for the church? Think about it. He said, I will build the church. What has to happen? Death, burial, and resurrection, doesn't it? That's, that's part of it, isn't it? Jesus Christ said, you're bought with a price. Didn't he say that? First uh, Corinthians 6, I believe. He said, you're bought with a price. Uh, Jesus Christ began the New Testament, obviously, when that, when that final sacrifice took place on the cross. Yes? 
Yes, he did. He died on the cross and he did so so that the church could get started. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, the church must have started the day that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I happen to disagree with that. Do you serve a dead God? No, I don't serve a dead God. Jesus Christ in the ground is dead God. Praise God, three days later, he rose from the grave. Amen? He rose from the grave. So then there's some people that say, well, he mu- it, the church must have started that Sunday morning. Whoo! That Sunday morning that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Praise God. Hallelujah. And that, well, they did meet together, didn't they? Disciples met together in the upper room later that night. And he appeared unto them, right? Remember that? But I don't think that's where the church began either. Because it's missing one big key aspect. We had his death. He bought us with a price. We have his resurrection. Yes. And uh, for sake of time, I won't read you all the scripture that I had written down because I, I was getting kind of deep. And I think the Lord wants us to just move on past that. Uh, but let's go to Acts chapter 1. Okay. Well, I'll just read you this. The resurrection it says, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and ye are yet in your sins. The resurrection is just as important as the death. It's, it's got to go hand in hand. Jesus Christ redeemed us on the cross and he made it real for us that we could believe in him and be saved by him when he resurrected. You with me now? Death, Beth, the death, burial, and resurrection is important. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. I know a lot of you, are, your eyes are drooping a little bit. It's getting a little warm. We'll shut her down here real soon. I believe the Lord will have us just... Take care of a couple more things. A little teaching time as we get where we're going to there tonight. Acts chapter 1. Look at this here. Look at verse 1 and chapter 1 verse 3. Excuse me. Chapter 1 verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Yes, that, what that means is he rose from the dead and he was alive for 40 days on earth before he ascended into heaven. He was seen by many, many infallible proofs, it says. Keeps going, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but what? But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. See that now? And then we see when he gets into verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put into his own power. I skipped over verse 6 where they're asking about the kingdom. Verse 8, But ye shall receive what? Power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. I believe that we needed the death, the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit of God. Because he said the church's great commission is to go reach the world. And he said, you can't do it. Put the brakes on. Isn't that what he said? He said, wait. Put the brakes on. He said, real soon, 
I'm going to give you the promise that I was promising you all along. And so I believe the origin of the church would then be chapter 2. And that's, that's my personal opinion, okay, as I'm looking through at this scripture, looking at all this, and I'm showing you that. And, and look, says, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost, chapter 2, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they every man heard them speak in his own language. Real quick, I just had to, I had to read that. Before we get off on this thing of speaking in tongues, it says right there that every man heard it in his own language. That's why we don't believe in tongues of gibberish. Because it says right there in the Bible that every man heard it in his own language. And that's important that we understand that. Moving on here. And uh, I believe the Lord would have me summarize here just a little bit. But we understand that through chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And now, first thing you see is there's Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. Is it 50 days after, is it right? 50 days after um, Passover. That's what Pentecost is, 50 days. And so they were waiting after Passover, after Jesus Christ died on the cross during Passover week. Then you had him raised from the dead. He's 40 days on earth. And then so another 10 days, they had to wait for the Holy Spirit of God. That's when Peter stands up, starts preaching. 3,000 people get saved. And look at chapter 2, the end of the chapter here. It says, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Let's skip down to verse 46. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and in breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The church is already in existence right there. What that means is, is the church wasn't in existence. And then Jesus said, when he rose in, or ascended into heaven, he said, wait 10 more days. And then the Holy Spirit came. And they got empowered by God. And they went out and started witnessing. And people started getting saved. And all of a sudden the church took, I'm talking 3,000 charter members here. Maybe more than that. There was 100 and some in verse chapter 1. And then 3,000 were added. And, uh, and God really took something off there. And the third time the church is used in scripture is right here at the end of chapter 2. Third time. In the book of Acts we have the history of the early church. The infancy stage. They made some mistakes, but they learned along the way. And then we have the epistles. We have Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philipp or Philippians. Yeah, amen. Anyways, and then and, and all of that, right? Those are epistles where Paul is teaching about the church. And then we have other epistles where he's writing to pastors Timothy and Titus. And then we have Peter teaching the Jewish believers about. 
the church. And Hebrews, where Jewish believers are learning how to make sense of it all. I know the synagogues of the old and I know the priesthood. No, but Jesus Christ is that high priest. And then we have the book of Revelation where the church is seen being written to in the beginning and then raptured up and what comes after. Jesus Christ is all about the church. That's the origin. His resurrection, His ascension into heaven was so important because He's the head of it. There's so much teaching and doctrine here we could get into. But the church tonight, I want you to understand this origin here. And and please understand, it's important to Jesus Christ. And so if the church is important to Him, it ought to be important to me. With me tonight? If it's important to Him, it ought to be important to me. So again, many people have questions. and What about Sunday? And what about these services? And why the extra things? And all this, it's found in Scripture. And we'll see how the Lord will bring this all out. But let's keep it simple tonight. If the church is important to Jesus Christ, it ought to be important to me. And when I became your pastor, the Lord led me to, to, to make a simple mission statement for our church based on Scripture. And it's three simple things. The purpose of it all. Number one, exalt the Savior. He ought to have the preeminence. That's our purpose. Secondly, evangelize the sinners. We're to reach the lost. The Great Commission is what we're told to do. And third, edify the saints. We're supposed to help one another, grow in the Word, teach the, teach the Word. They continued daily in the Apostles' doctrine, it says. They were learning. I already read to you a verse I wrote down at the end there, 1 Timothy 3.15. And it says that, he says that uh, if, if uh, basically there's things that we ought to learn about how to behave in the church. God has a lot to teach about His church. Thank you, thank you, church, for being faithful tonight. A little bit of a teaching time for us tonight. But we must understand what we have that's so precious to the Lord Jesus so we don't let these things slip. It's not time to bail on the church. It's not time to say, you know what, I've had enough of that, I'm done. Because Jesus Christ died for the church, empowered the ch- rose for the church, Ascended for the church, empowered the church, and is coming back for the church. It's not time to give it up. It's time to get more involved. Remember that verse in in Hebrews chapter 10, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, right? When we have in church, we ought not to forsake it. And so much the more. What's it say? As we see the day approaching. With me tonight? Let's stand together, please. Church family, I'm not going to have an invitation. Brother Stanley, you don't even have to get that far. Here's where it is. I know you're tired, and I know it's a little longer tonight. Listen here. If it's important to Jesus, it ought to be important to me. And if it's important to Jesus, it ought to be important to you. That means every aspect. Amen? That means, that means what they did in the, in the book of Acts continuing in the Apostles' Doctrine, that Sunday school hour that we learn the Word of God, the Bible study time, the preaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread with communion and all those things. Yes? And even the Great Commission where we're supposed to reach the lost. It ought to be important. Let's give thanks to the Lord tonight. Lord, we love You and we thank You so very much for the church.
God, we know the church tonight is important to you. And Lord, thank you for the time of teaching and helping us to understand some of these things, especially how the church, uh, Lord, uh, the, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Lord, may we remember that the devil has, not, it has got nothing on the church because we have the power of God and the Word of God. And we have the, the call of God to reach this world. And I pray that we would. Lord, help us as families, as individuals tonight to not forsake the church, but to get involved and so much the more. And I pray that you'd help us in this area. Thank you for a great day in your house. Thank you for the three saved this morning. Thank you for the teaching and the challenges for tonight. And God, would you allow us to be back in our places Tuesday night to reach our community with gospel tracts during a parade. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Wednesday night at the Bible study. And uh, this, this week, a Christmas, uh, Christmas program. And uh, in our places, soul winning. And, and next week also with back in church again. Lord, we just ask you to bless us. Help us to be the church you want us to be. May we be all that you want us to be right here in Berkeley County in this area that you put us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, guys, I think we're good for announcements. Bless God. Amen. You got some meetings tonight. You got a deacon meeting and...